If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Lives branding team. In the following episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Air Force veteran turned venture capitalist, Darren Burrell, founder and president of Veterans Venture Capital, a veteran-owned growth equity investment fund and firm focused on veteran businesses. VVC interacts exclusively with companies that have military veteran leadership, recognizing the value of military experience, training, and character in business operations. Darren is no stranger to the bunker, serving as an ambassador and champion for veteran entrepreneurship all across the country. On the show, Darren and I discuss why he believes veterans make great entrepreneurs, the investment thesis of his firm, and the importance of community and collaboration in the venture space. Whether you're looking to raise funding for your startup or trying to gain a better understanding of the venture landscape, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Before you hear from Darren and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, Shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I'd also like to encourage you to check out my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Violate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes as well. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Darren, welcome to the transition. This is take three, y'all. We tried to record on some other software, but we finally got it working. Had to go to def- uh, we had to go to Zoom because uh, y'all know technology never works like it's supposed to. But I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast, Darren. Oh, Mike, I'm so excited. I uh, like I uh I've said before, huge fan of the podcast. Uh, one, one of the first out there that really addressed the plight of, uh, uh, you know, veteran entrepreneurs in their transition. And so glad to, and honored to be on here and tell you a little bit more about what we do and just how it connects the whole ecosystem. So super excited. So, yeah, this is going to be great. A few weeks ago, Darren and I were at the Milvet Startup Conference hosted by Context Ventures out of SF, which is just absolutely an amazing event. And I don't know about you, but I get energized getting from behind this computer screen and getting out and about in the community. And that's what you and I have in common. I feel like we keep overlapping, um, whether it's an ambassador fly-in or it's the military influencer conference. I mean, we're out and about in the community. Yeah, it's all about networking. It's about relationships in any business, right? But especially when you're talking about trying to get military folks connected to capital, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of deals that happen over the airwaves. It's typically face-to-face. And I think that's really important to make sure that people can see you out and about doing the grind, uh, you know, both when you're, in, you know, at home station and, and when you need to make it happen out there with the rest of the teams. Darren was one of the first people to pull me aside. I think it was an ambassador flying. And you said, Mike, I listened to the crash course in venture capital you did with Paul Capon from Luna Cap Ventures. And uh, how informative it was, how much you appreciate it. And for me, I was like, damn, I felt good because um, as somebody that is a small business owner, 
but I try to do my best to do some ecosystem mapping. And that means being really informed about the space. It was, um, it let me know that I was in the right direction by your, your, your compliment as a venture capitalist and saying, Hey, this is good information. Yeah, it was great. Paul's a fantastic guy as well. One of the first people I was introduced to in this space, uh, you know, four or five years ago when I, when I started this down this road, and, uh, and, and I like the way y'all kind of framed it, that it was a realistic way of, you know, hey, try all these other areas before, before you go to venture capital, because it's not for everybody, not for every business. And so I like the way that you just outlined everything out there. Really good stuff. So bring us up to speed by introducing yourself to our listeners who may or may not be familiar with Veteran Ventures Capital and uh, what y'all do. Yeah, well, uh, you know, background on me. Uh, Full career in the military. Uh, I was a finance guy uh, for the Air Force, so had a great time uh, paying for the planes versus flying, flying them. Uh, had a good time doing it. Uh, large programs, uh, Pentagon, fifteen billion, Iraq, Afghanistan, deployed up, you know, five times and managed twelve billion there, and uh, and then finished up my time in the White House, uh, managing the president's comm budget. Uh, that was under Obama. Decided to transition out back then and go into the financial services sector on the private side. And that's where I became aware firsthand as you know, one of the companies I was with, I helped a, several companies grow in scale, but uh, COO of a company that was on fire. You know, We uh, doubled the company size, tripled their assets under management to just under uh, 2 billion. Uh, and, and they were like growing like wildfire and said, hey, you're a money guy, go find us $2 million. And so that was my introduction to the world of alternative capital a long time ago. and. Uh, and, and when I raised the money, that was kind of a, a, a wake-up call for me. It was harder than I thought it was going to be, a couple million. Um, and if it was hard for me as, as a guy who'd been in the space for a couple of decades, I knew it was going to be harder for other other veterans coming out in, in transition. So got together with some group, a group, of, group of folks, mostly veterans, and decided to launch Veteran Ventures Capital, raise a fund. We did so. Our first fund uh, uh, topped off at $20 million. Um, and uh, we're now deploying that capital. And, and essentially, you know, we think veterans make great entrepreneurs. We think they make a great business case and investment. And we're investing mostly in the national security and defense side of the house um, uh, of veteran founders and businesses that are growing and scaling and taking their operations to the next level. So happy to dive in deeper as we kind of talk through this. Congratulations on that. Um, I know you've been behind the scenes grinding. Uh, I actually follow your your LinkedIn feed and you share a lot of good stuff, like a lot of good articles. Um, but I want to continue this theme of, you know, people don't realize how hard it is on the other side of the table for venture capitalists, raising capital from LPs, nailing your thesis, waiting 10 years, sometimes more until you get those returns. And so with that in mind, would you take off your armor for us and let us know what you're struggling with, you know, as a founder of a veteran led venture fund? Well, it, what's really funny is, so we took pitches while we were raising, right? And so when people talked about the grind and the, uh, you know, having to pitch this in front of umpteen type of different uh, potential investors, you know, I, I, I could really relate. I, I pitched it, you know, probably 800 times before I even got my first guest. So it is something where you have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grinding and we're a startup just like a lot of other uh, startups out there. So it was it was a very big challenge. We had lofty goals. Um, you know, I, I wanted to see a fifty million dollar first fund, uh, so we we closed out at twenty. So we didn't make a, 
um, our goal, but uh, we did know that it was time to deploy capital to start building out that track record and then have aspirations long-term of the next size kind of increasing funds like you're supposed to do. And so we didn't take the traditional venture path. Uh, and so a lot of veterans don't take the traditional path of entrepreneurship. So we feel like it's right there in, in the same vein, but it was hard. It was hard. Uh, so uh, it was it was a while before we saw a lot of fruit. Um, and, and yeah, you can blame a little bit of that on COVID, but it, you know, the startup grind is the startup grind. And when we started getting that momentum, it's very much like it is of a, of a, you know, an entrepreneur that's making some traction in, in, in terms of getting this adoption of, you know, users or contracts or, or people that are getting that once you get a couple and then, then it starts to snowball. Same thing when you're raising funds, when we were raising, uh, going towards family offices, mainly um and uh, and we got our first several on the door then that just kind of led for more coming in the door and so the the bulk of our money came in that last six months versus you know the first year and a half and so it was a it was it, it, it was a big learning experience pretty excited that we're through the first gates of the of the first fund uh but it you know you, you never really stop fundraising you know you always feel like you're you need to continually be out there and uh and help uh, help build up like this ecosystem. And I love where the way you uh, um, are describing this, you know, your 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 eco map, if you will, of the veteranpreneur space, coupled with you know businesses, sources of capital, different educational and awareness campaigns that you do. I mean, it's 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 all part of the same game. We we know there's a lot of other guys out there doing what we're doing, and we're happy to partner with them as well. What's keeping you up at night currently? Well, um, you know, again, there's this uh, misconception out there that um, that once you raise funds that you're okay. Uh, I mean, that may be true in some really large funds, um, but, uh, you know, what we have right now is a constrained budget because we want to get as much capital as possible out into the hands of the, the veterans that are running those businesses twofold. One, because it helps them grow further and faster. Two, it helps stretch the uh, investor dollars of our LPs, and so they like to see more money in the uh, in the companies as well. So it, it it means that you know we tighten the belt for a while, and uh, so we're we're uh, you know we we go through budgets and we go through burn rates and we talk about all the metrics that any business does, and so we're putting all that together now that we got the fund closed, and uh, you know we're gonna have to make some trade offs to make sure that we get to the end game and. And uh, and make sure that we're doing right by both our investors as well as the uh, portfolio companies we're investing in. So that's a that's a daily struggle um, to to run the day to day operations of of the fund and of the firm uh, while still thinking about you know delivering number one over our, everything else is value creation to these portfolio companies. We are not passive capital. We want to get actively engaged. We want to find out where they're. You know, do that SWOT analysis, find out where we can plug and play, get on the board seats if possible, get uh, bring in contract opportunities, non-dilutive funding opportunities, things that would push this ball forward faster. And so that takes a lot of work. And, you know, there's there's always portfolio companies that are in, you know, various levels of challenge when you're in this you know, we're in the post revenue stage, but it's still early on. And so they have the same type of struggles, too. So it's there's always a company out there that you're working on the team 
that is is uh, is needing a lot of extra uh, help. And so, yeah, that there's it's hard to pick one thing uh, when when you have. I mean, right now we have 11 companies in the portfolio, and uh, we're pretty much uh, five of us. So we're dividing and conquering as much as we can, but there's always something that needs a little bit extra help, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, one of the things that you're bullish on is that veterans make great entrepreneurs. You published a white paper on it. Share us your thoughts. I mean, share. please share your thoughts on it. I would love to dive into, you know, your thesis and why veterans above all else. Yeah, you know, um, this is something that I, I believe strongly in. Um, I think that the the military is a proving ground for entrepreneurship. I think when you describe entrepreneurs on the outside, what do people talk about? They talk about having clear focus, which we would call mission focus. They talk about the ability to adapt. We or no, they they say pivoting. We say adapt and overcome, right? And and just this grit and determination. Well, you know that's what we do in the military. Take that hill no matter what, with whatever tools and resources that you have. Uh, you know the the ability to have the uh, to make uh, decisions in a time constrained environment. Well, that's what you do as an entrepreneur as well. These skills that we learned when we served our country are so applicable to the private sector and especially in leadership and leading uh, you know smaller groups that grow into larger groups. That's exactly what we did in the military. So I think it's important to to say that the, the you know. There are so many um, different, uh, I guess, differing opinions about veterans when they transition out. Okay, there are some that have challenges, uh, but that's the that's the minority, right? The majority come out with the right mentality, with that same, you know, no fail mission type of attitude, and they bring that to the entrepreneur space. That is a recipe for success because when you're investing in early stage. You're investing in the individual and in the leader. Why not have someone who's commanded hundreds or maybe even thousands of troops? And that type of mentality is really what's going to make them successful on the private side. So, yeah, we think that uh, the even the educational benefits that the military provides second to none. Right. We've got a couple on our team veteran wise that have PhDs. The, the, the government paid for three master's degrees for me. And, uh, you know, so much opportunity that the government gives you and prepares you for life outside of the military. The part they don't they don't uh, prepare you for, you know, how to run a business. Well, that's where folks like you and me and, and our work with Bunker Labs, the Veterans in Residence Program, the different accelerators, all of these things that are there to help bridge that skill set because you got everything else. And the last thing is, is access to capital. Right. And so the solving for the networking piece, the um, operational piece and then uh, the funding piece, you know, you put all that together and you find the right individuals to lead. That's going to be, you know, money in the bank for investors. Why do you think there's this big push now where there's more veteran venture funds popping up? Um, because I know when I entered the bunker ecosystem in 27, I mean, I entered it in 2017 and we didn't have nearly what we have now. You know, at least Ford. Well, yeah, yeah, because that's when I when I formed Veteran Ventures was uh, in in 2017, and when I uh, got engaged with Bunker as well. And uh, you're right, there was only a handful of them. Now, a large portion of that is, uh, you know, the alternative capital realm at large, right? It's grown a lot and significant. Uh, people are looking for different ways to diversify their holdings, 
and those are the large, um, you know, larger high net worth individuals and family offices trying to find different places. So the the, the industry as a whole has grown. Okay, now what people are seeing is success in our space, right? They see, um, you know, these large companies like uh, IDME or or Shield or um, Black Rifle Coffee, uh, all these different companies that are, you know, touting the, the strengths of the veteran. And so people are saying, okay, and, and then you have the educational element of Bunker Last, which has really come of age. You know, it's been around for seven years, but it's, it's really taken off. And uh, people are starting to want to start more businesses. And so there's more of a pool of quality businesses that are looking for funding. And so you kind of see people rise to, to face that need. So those are, you know, two big things is the rise of the veteran entrepreneur to back to the historical levels that, you know, made our nation great. And then two is the proliferation of alternative capital as a whole uh, to help, you know, bridge and, and really diversify uh, other people's assets into different other things other than the stock market. Does that make sense? It does. So let me ask you this, with these other funds that were out there, you know, Hivers and Strivers, you know, Doug Doan plants the flag yeah. and says we only invest in military veterans. What made you decide to want to start a fund as opposed to just being LP and some of these other funds that are supporting the veteran community? Well, you know, it's interesting you asked that. At the time, um, you know, when I was just getting started, uh, I was being educated just as everybody else. I was being mentored by some local angel investors and venture capitalists here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we're based. And as I kind of grew in that understanding, there were a limited people on there. Like you said, Doug Doan was one of the first ones on the team, on the, uh, you know, in the space. One of the pioneers has really led led the charge. And then there's others that we started to learn about, you know, Task Force X, uh, you know, uh, Luna Cap, and um, and just these these great uh, firms out there. And talking to them, um, you know, it was kind of like, hey, there's 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 a need, okay. And there's not enough capital to go around. And that's still the case today, even with the, the rise of, you know, what I'll call smaller, yet more powerful micro funds. Um, you know, there's still plenty of run room for all of us to play in the same sandbox. It's just a matter of, you know, doing their doing their raise, getting the capital they need, and then us coming together and sharing deal flow, sharing opportunities. And when we co-invest, which we have, you know, we, We've co-invested with Doug, uh, among others, and uh, you help diversify that portfolio risk, right? When there's more more hands in there and different skills that come that are brought to the table for that particular reason. So I think that there's a great. I think we're just scratching the surface. I really do. I think that there's plenty of room for all of us to get along, and and not only that, but to do some deals together and make money together. All one thing, veterans. one of the things I'm curious about, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, is when you think about VSO, so the veteran service organizations, there's so many of them, and that they start to overlap, that when a veteran is seeking support, it can be hard to navigate, right? It's like that menu at the diner that's like 20 pages long, and you're like, I just want cheeseburger and fries, you know? So yeah. when you think about <laughs> positioning and branding, what separates veteran venture, ventures capital from the Hivers and Strivers, from the uh, Veteran Fund, and from, from these other ones? Great question. So what we really do uh, effectively, um, we, we only invest in veterans too. So, so most of the other funds out there kind of uh, stress the veteran piece, but aren't exclusive. D Doug is. Um, but uh, 
the the big thing we do is there's a couple guys on the team myself and uh, uh, some others that well we we spent uh, a career 20 plus years managing government uh, contracting and procurement lines right so we know how to navigate uh, contracts with the government um, we know how to do non-dilutive funding we've deployed you know nearly six million uh, to date but we've also garnered over seven million in non-dilutive funding so we've We've stretched out the LP dollar, uh, but we've also allowed the government to pay for R&D while they're, these companies of ours are developing dual-use technology paths. So they get to have the best of both worlds, right? We think non-dilutive funding is awesome, okay? And we help them get those, those SBIRs, STTRs, StratFi, TACFi, all these different programs out there that the government has stood up because they know that it's hard to do business with them. And so they kind of help bridge the gap for smaller businesses. And we are, we're experts in that program. So that's one of the things I think that we bring to the table. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the ecosystem is growing and there is greater opportunity out there, but you still have to have your carve out, right? The VSO piece, it really comes down to, to, to what are you looking for? Okay, if you're looking to do business in the national security and defense space, uh, and you're and you're a veteran founder or, or uh, leader within that company. We're, we we would love to talk to you. Um, if you're if you're earlier on and you're still growing and developing, there are other funds out there that that invest earlier than we do because we typically look to, like to see about a million in revenue before we uh, we want to really get engaged. And so if something comes earlier to that, that we might pass them along some of these other funds that are out there that choose to invest earlier, like the veteran fund, right? And uh, so that's that's there's there's nuances about you know what stage. Uh, if you're you know if you're pure B to C, that's not something that we would do. Uh, typically, I mean you know I'd say about eighty percent of what we do is you know, cybersecurity, logistics, aerospace, you know, those high-tech uh, businesses that are doing business with the DOD in particular. So that's kind of, uh, every one of them has their nuances, uh, but we all we all want to see veteran businesses succeed, even if we don't invest with them. You know, it's not like anybody wants to see that not be the case. So we'll try to connect you with the right people at the right time. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I, I think that is your uh, value prop, like you said, having that background with the federal government, um, understanding because early on you need capital for that R and D. You know, people are spending godly amount of money on building out these tech products now. The software, like, it's not like it was like ten years ago where building the app was like eight thousand dollars. Now people are spending hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you know, five hundred thousand dollars on this development. And so if they can get some of that covered by the federal government, that's a win-win. Particularly if you can help them. Um, navigate that process. The other thing I was going to ask you is for people that are listening and you say, okay, typically we want you to have a million dollars in revenue. When people receive funding from like the SBIR or some of these other, do you count that as revenue? We do. We do. I mean, if, if the government gives you a phase two SBIR, that's, that's nearly a million dollars in non-dilutive funding. So, um, you know, we want to see recurring revenue, but typically the government you know, doesn't give out those con uh, those those types of monies without expecting some form of contract in the long term. So we take that into consideration. Absolutely, we and uh, and really, you know, that way we can. Okay, you've gotten into the the ecosystem. Now let's get you that phase three, which leads to you know um, multiple millions and multiple opportunities across the spectrum. So 
yes, we, we you know, we, we definitely count those. We count, um, you know, traction is really what we're looking for. If there's a way to monetize that traction, we'll take that into consideration as well. So it's a, we're, we don't do pre-revenue, um, but we do uh, find different ways to classify what you're doing uh, in terms of monetizing, if that makes sense. One of the things you talked about is that you co-invest, that there's enough around for everyone. I would love for you to help our listeners understand how much you all talk to each other in terms of you and other funds, because I think a lot of times they don't understand that, like, hey, you actually need to get out in the community um, because it's going to be important just in terms of the sniff test as well, too. Right. So it's like if high risk drivers makes an investment. Now your spidey sense is tingling. You're interested in learning more. And so um, how do how do you advise, you know, our listeners to navigate that? Yeah, it's a really great question, because I will tell you, we do talk to um, probably 30 other firms at the time. Uh, not all of them are, you know, you know, veteran focused, but they are defense focused for the most part. And uh, and we have co-invested with at least uh, four, four other firms. And uh, uh, so the, the answer is, is that when we're doing deep due diligence on a company. So, again, we get 500 looks a year come across the desk. We don't go into deep due diligence with you know that many, you know, probably 20-ish, right? And then invest in, you know, five of those. So, so when we do that though, as part of our due diligence, it is what is their presence in our ecosystem? Do these other companies and other firms, do they know about them? Did they pitch them? Did they say no? Why did they say no? Um, and if we and, and that is not necessarily close the door if someone says no you know that may not be their specialty so it's not like that's a a huge flag uh, it's just another data point but it is a data point right we want other people to have heard of them we're going through deep uh, due diligence on this one company that no one really knows about okay and so we're we're, we're very uh intrigued by the technology and by the, the potential of this of this company um, but uh, the fact that no one has heard of them, you know, we like to be the, the first institutional money in, so that's not a big deal, but when nobody knows you, it's just kind of like, okay, now we have to go back around, and and, and all, we have, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could say third-party people that are uh, entrusted with finding out the rest of the information about these companies if we can't find it on our own, and so we have to do that. And it, it, it meshes a whole lot easier when you can say, hey, you know, first in, that's another, that's another firm out there. Have, did, have you heard of these guys? And uh, and if so, what, what are your thoughts on them? Or same thing with, you know, uh, a pick a firm out there, Moonshots or TFX or all of those other ones out there. Have you heard of these guys? And uh, And it makes a big difference, you know, when they say yes. And it really makes a big difference when they say, yes, we like them, but... You know, there might have been some reason why they said no. It wasn't material to like the business model. It was just timing, right? And so, um, so yeah, I, the answer to your question is, is the guys out there and the, and the ladies out there that are pitching their businesses do not think that um, one firm is the answer. Okay, until you get a term sheet signed saying, this is my lead investor, you need to go out there and cast a very wide net because we're going to talk to each other. Okay. We talk to each other every week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we kind of even 
we have our the people we talk to most like you know there's a there's a group of guys on my team and they know this group in you know california and this group over here in dc and then the people that i've talked to over the years so all of that to me and said is uh um you need to cast a very wide net um it, uh, if it's something that you think is going to have the the traction that it needs to scale quick because because if it's you know b to c that's just a small group of people there right uh, and if it's SaaS, it's a bigger group over here and if it's you know hardware you know, that's something that we like too so all those different things um you know happy to kind of talk it over people can contact me and i'd love to kind of show them at least what we do and some of the people that might be a good fit for them when they give me the one page summary you know what i mean yeah and i'll tell you um it just goes back to professional reputation right and i'm a brand guy part of branding is telling your own story right have people heard of you do they have reference points? And, you know, I think it's a challenge for a lot of vets when they transition out because we're not very boastful, you know, like you have your medals and all that other stuff. But like for the most part, you know, people don't wear it on their chest, you know, in the civilian world. And so now you've got to be your biggest advocate. And so if you're not out and about in the community, you're not speaking with people, you know, when your name does come up or your company's name does come up, what are people saying about you? And I think that's what um, you're getting at is you've got to communicate your value. Now, you hit on something that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about yet is hard tech. And hard tech is a whole nother opportunity um, that I think um, entrepreneurs can take advantage of. But it's also way harder because this is not like some SaaS platform that you're going to monetize for $10. You know, you're going to have to get those big enterprise, those big government contracts right out the gate. How are you guys thinking about uh, growing um, hard tech founders? Well, we've we've invested in uh, drone companies, uh, uh, robotics, uh, and uh, you know this technology piece that is tied to a product. Whether that's night vision um, technology solutions, that's a great company we invested with. Uh, so there's there's those particular areas. Again, we're we're still see, wanting to see some level of traction. Believe it or not, a lot of those companies have international sales before they have domestic because the rules overseas are slightly different than some of the, the regulations that they have to get through here uh, in the state side. So you can generate sales in a myriad of ways when you have hardware as a product uh, that you can actually sell. Um, and, and a lot of that is accomplished through, you know, the different relationships you have. Chamber of Commerce is really good at that too. So if, if you do have that area and you talk to your local chamber, they typically have different ways to get you engaged in the international community. So that's a big thing, uh, but it is a challenge because, you know, it's a, it's a, like you said, can be capital intensive and it can multiply in terms of uh, their raises are constant, right? You have to go in order to, to service an entire contract that costs a hundred million dollars and you've got to be able to pay a good portion of that up front. And so it is, it is very much a game that uh, when we come in early, uh, we we usually are a part of a, of what is a really big round, and uh, you know that's satellite uh, parts because we are in a satellite company as well. Um, we may be a smaller dollar amount on the cap table, but that doesn't uh, negate our importance in terms of opening up relationships with the program managers in the government or the different. Um, agencies that we think might be a good play for where they're doing it but it is it's a it's it's something that 
we really like to do, but not everybody does because it's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah, I'm fascinated by hard tech. There's a hacks is here in Newark, hard tech accelerator. It's a spinoff of SOSV. And so that speak my interest. And I do follow a lot of the Y Combinator content. And I've only ever seen one podcast on hard tech. And I am reading the uh, Tony Fidel book build currently. So uh, I'm interested in writing some posts about it. You know, I can see a potential for a hard tech podcast um, down the line. So I appreciate you sharing your insights on that. While we have you, people are going to be listening to this and they're going to want to reach out, right? Or they're going to know someone that's going to reach out. What does a successful pitch look like for you and your team? And then also what can founders expect in terms of follow on? So I know you've talked about it briefly about, yeah, this is our value add on the government uh, side of the house. We know how to navigate these contracts and the procurement and stuff, but realistically, like what they can expect in terms of your team sitting on the board, helping them maybe think through their goal to market, et cetera. Well, you unpacked a couple of things there. Um, We like to uh, say it this way that, um, we like to give our founders uh, all the help they can stand, right? Um, and so they tell us uh, where where they need the most help. We go to work. We are constantly, you know, running through databases, finding those contracts, sending them out, helping write, um, you know, answering RFPs, and then uh, and then again, you know, maybe uh, putting together the package for the Sibbers Phase Two and and things like that. Um, and so you know, when they want to get a hold of us. Uh, you know, it's typical, you apply through our website, it kind of jump starts you in the queue, goes out to our investment committee. Uh, if it passes our initial screening, uh, then we, we set you up for uh, a presentation. Um, as far as the pitch goes, you know, this is something that I've had to learn over the last several uh, years, is that uh, content is king, okay? Um because we've seen plenty of pitch decks that were not ready for, for prime time, right? They didn't, uh, they, they may have been pitched poorly. They may have uh, lacked, you know, pizzazz. Um, and at first that was a detractor. But in the end game, we're all about finding, is this investment going to make money? And can we help these people? Okay. It's got to be both of those, right? Uh, because we want to, we, again, want to be a part of the team and helping these companies, uh, you know, go to the next level. So the, you know, as long as it has the right things on there, you know, the problem, solution, the team, the the market, uh, uh, you know, some of the financials, at least on the pro forma side, and then the, you know, the the projections. Uh, those those are things that that we expect to see. Uh, but if they're out of order or if they don't look good, you know, you, they're you really should should pay attention to that because those are distractors, but they're not killers. You know what I mean? They're not going to kill the deal just because you presented it poorly. Um, and, and I think that's probably that comes with age because you can kind of d- detect what is going to be a good business, even almost despite the presentation instead of because of it. Does that, you know, hopefully that makes sense. Um, and I don't think a lot, I mean, if, at least earlier on, I, I really, I really cared about the delivery. Okay, I really wanted to see that you had done your homework. I still want to see that. Okay, so you need to go to these accelerators and the VIR and get the points and the tricks and the tips that are people that have been there and done that. Um, But it's not the only thing. It's just, again, it's another data point for us. And so it's part of the whole due diligence process. Um, And so I think that's something that, uh, that, that has been cultivated through our team over time. 
there's enough support now in the ecosystem for people not to show a wreck, right? So basically what I'm getting at is your first time pitching better not be the Darren and his team. <laughs> between the veterans and residents, between the Pen Fed Masters Foundation, you've got the Founder Institute, you've got YouTube, you've got all these different things. By the time you get on with them, you know, please have, you know, some passes, right? Some practice, some swings at the plate. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that, particularly on presentation, right? People don't understand that that's a skill set. There are people out there that make these really nice slides, you know, yeah. to help people um, put their best foot forward. But also appreciate the fact that you still see potential. So you're like, it's. I'm not going to say it's a deal killer, but, you know, one of the reasons we have this platform is to put people in a position to win as best as we yeah. possibly can. So that's why I wanted to share that. When you think about your BHAG for Veteran Ventures Capital, what does that look like? What is that North Star you're working towards? Yeah, you know, that this is something that we think about. You know, what what is the art of the possible when it comes to, to veterans and getting... So it's about, for us, you know, I, uh, at a large level, I want to see military service become the gateway to entrepreneurship. I say that all the time. And the way to do that is for me to make a return for my LP so I can have a fund two, fund three, fund four and grow. And, and then eventually people see these companies, these IDMEs, these Black Rifles and the other different companies out there and say, man, I want to go be a successful life like that. I better go serve my country because that prepares me for the, the world of entrepreneurship. That, that to me is a win for everybody involved, even those that we don't invest with, right? And uh, so, but as far as for, for, I don't see why we as, as a, as a collective ecosystem, why can't there be a billion dollar fund out there for, for veterans, right? I mean, there's tons of, of billion dollar funds out there that appeal to the different demographics and in, in the different niches out there in technology. I see the opportunity to really have um, the, instead of the exception, because right now, Veterans coming out, starting businesses, you and I both know that less than 4% actually do that when they come out. If we can get that up to 50%, like it used to be back in World War II days, uh, then we can see so many different businesses out there competing for uh, capital that the capital will rise up to meet the demand. So I, I, I think that there's uh, we're, we are scratching the surface in here for those people that are choosing to get engaged in entrepreneurship as veterans and launching and growing and scaling businesses. There's so much opportunity out there. There's so many resources as you said, and, and the capital is going to catch up. Does that make sense? It does. And we have listeners yeah. tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. Number one, what words of encouragement would you like to leave them with as they continue on their entrepreneurial journey? And number two, as a community, how can we support and help you reach that BHAG? Yeah. So number one, uh, persistence, right? If, if I could describe what a distinguishing characteristic is for veteran businesses, it's execution. You get things done. That is the important thing when it comes to uh, really making headway to folks like me. When we see these you know, large uh, traction and scaling and just getting out there and making it happen. So keep pushing, keep pushing hard. Persistence pays off, uh, but you got you got to be executing every day. You got to be doing things every day. Uh, and as far as uh, you know what you're doing right now, Mike, 
This is it, right? It's spreading the word. It's trying to get more people engaged in this ecosystem and trying to find out that this is, uh, it should not be a niche industry, right? We should be able to go out there and fundraise like the other big fund, like big funds out there without having to really, I mean, right now it is a grind because no one knows the power of the veteran. Once that is communicated effectively and people start catching that type of, uh, you know, just the mentality of what we bring to the table, it's going to rise all, it's the rising tide mentality is going to happen. And so I'm, I'm anxious to continue to partner and spread the word, figure out ways that when businesses come to you and, and you bring them to us and we we all coalesce around them, we want to see them all succeed. You know, it'd be great to see multiple iterations of what has happened in the past, where we saw things like Federal Express and Walmart and Enterprise, U-Haul and, you know, Domino's, Chick-fil-A, all of these companies started by veterans uh, after they'd served their country and after they had defended our nation. There's, there's no reason we can't see that resurgence happen uh, even today. Well, Darren, I appreciate you spending this time with us. Um, we're all excited for Veteran Ventures Capital. I'm looking forward to seeing you at some more events here in the future. In the meantime, how can people follow you? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, we're on all the social media uh, places, but I would say the best one is LinkedIn, um, obviously. And uh, so well, you can find me, you can find our um, uh, our company page over there. Go to our website, veteranventures.us. That's how you can get a hold of us. Uh, so happy to make any connections. Mention this podcast and I'll, I'll give you a lot more TLC because uh, you're part of the ecosystem at that point. And we really want to want to see this this area thrive so appreciate it again, again mike for the opportunity and thank you so much for what you're doing for our nation's veterans and for the the entrepreneur space in general it was an honor having you on and for all our listeners do me a favor and go ahead and make sure you subscribe to the transition newsletter at the link in the show notes there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on linkedin at iron mike stedman until next time peace love have a great rest of your week.